Womb to tomb. Sperm to worm. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. That's it. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> my name is Megan Charlotte, and I use she, her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns. And today, we are talking about the 2021 film adaptation of West Side Story which is an adaptation of the 1957 stage musical developed by Jerome Jerry Robbins with lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, book by Arthur Lawrence, and music by Leonard Bernstein. The film was produced by TSG and Amlin Entertainment and was released by 20th Century Pictures, which used to be 20th Century Fox until it was bought by the mouse. Uh-huh. And someday, Megan, we will go back and talk about the other film adaptation of West Side Story, the 1961 version. Okay. One day. Okay. Not anytime soon. Okay. The reason we covered this film is that merely two weeks ago to this day, this film was released on streaming on both HBO Max and Disney+. Plus. Yay, competition! So you can watch it for yourself. Or you can listen to our episode and never watch the film. Your choice. No. You need to see the visual. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> what am I talking about? So West Side Story, this West Side Story is an adaptation of the stage play, which is an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So that's why we're talking about this film. This film was directed by Steven Spielberg with screenplay by Tony Kushner, who is the Tony Award winning writer of Angels in America. He also wrote Lincoln the Steven Spielberg movie. Okay. Anyway. We went through how I've only seen like three Steven Spielberg films. Speaking of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Steven Spielberg is the most critically acclaimed director we have ever covered on Avant Bard and probably will ever cover on Avant Bard. He's a three-time Oscar winner. He's made movies such as Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park. Meg has seen like two of those movies. I've seen Jurassic Park. Out of the ones you just listed, it's Jurassic Park. And yet you've seen War Horse, Megan. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Uh, she see War Horse, everyone. <laughs> Megan, who didn't see War Horse? I mean, that's how I feel. <laughs> Megan, people did not watch War Horse. So anyway... I love almost all of the movies I've seen of Steven Spielberg. He is probably one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite director. Jurassic Park might be my favorite movie, if not my favorite movie. He's a sentimental sop. He has a lot of dad stuff in his works. He grew up listening to the original cast soundtrack of West Side Story when he was 10 years old, which is why he thought it was appropriate to make a movie today, even though there's already a pretty famous adaptation. And he was just like, it's time. It is time, Steven. I watched an ABC documentary about this film in preparation for this podcast, and it provided a lot of information. So I'm going to go through some of it. <laughs> I would hope so. 
a couple things I learned watching this. Steven Sondheim was only 25 when he was hired to do the lyrics for West Side Story. And he, like, died only several months ago. R.I.P. Steven. This movie is not a remake of the first movie, like I mentioned. They specifically said, we are not going to take that movie into account. We are going to base our production on the stage play. Is there a recording of the stage play? Or is it just from, no, like... No, just on notes and... Notes and account, It was 1957. There yeah, wouldn't be a recording. Sense. So, what is West Side Story, Megan? It's a movie. It's a story of rival gangs on the streets of New York, with two individuals, Tony and Maria, falling in love and trying to make it work amidst the violence. That's pretty similar to Romeo and Juliet. It is. Anyway, Steven Spielberg turned 10 blocks of New York City into 1957 for this film. Wow. Sets. I wish I went there and saw it. This is like why he's so good. Because, you know, movies today. Listen, I'm going to turn into an old man. Wait. Movies today, they just put things on a sound stage and film it in Atlanta studios and green screen everything. So it looks like they're all fighting on a lot. But Steven Spielberg, he... Were you talking about Civil War? Yeah. Right then? Yeah. Captain America Civil War. I will say this very clear on this podcast. Screw Captain America Civil War. I like the Spider-Man scenes. Okay. I also think, though, he's able to do that because he's Steven Spielberg. Correct. But I think anyone with enough money can do it. And Marvel has a lot of money. That's true. But how do they have time to do that? They need to release like seven films this year. They don't have to do that. This is clearly a work of love and not for financial success. Like he's not trying to make a blockbuster here. Early Steven Spielberg is full of like blockbusters. Like Jurassic Park, E.T. Just like things that he makes that are intended to be viewed by a wide audience and loved and make lots of money. And the thing about his later works is he kind of goes into a mode of doing one for me and one for them. I like that game. Yeah, so he's like, oh, this is a movie about Tom Hanks being good at his job in Bridge of Spies, and then he goes on and does Ready Player One. (laughs) That's his mode. Or like he does Tin Tin, which is like a fun kids movie, and then he does War Horse. (laughs) I have no idea which one was supposed to be the blockbuster in that. Tin Tin. Okay. Because it costs a lot of money. Okay. But it has Because you switched the order. Oh, that's fair. That's so fair, I got very confused. I was like, War Horse is supposed to be a blockbuster? Whoops. So I firmly believe that this is a one for him, and the one for them was Ready Player One, which is his previous film. Didn't that do bad? Ready Player One cost about $155 million and made... $582 million. Never maybe. mind, it did well. Yep. I thought people hated it. Oh, people critically didn't like it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But Megan, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity because West Side Story was released on December 10th, 2021 with a budget of $100 million, oh. which is less than Ready Player One. Yeah, but that's for a work of love. Yes. I mean, it's still $100 million, but that's like Steven Spielberg's level of love. Yeah. But this movie only made $72.6 million. A couple of reasons why this is, Megan. One. Pandemic. Pandemic. God. Two. Spider-Man No Way Home was released 
at the, like the same time. That's the same company. Why would you do that? Because they were trying to do cross-marketing. You know, old people see West Side Story and new people see Spider-Man. But here's the thing. Why man. would people see West Side Story? It's got Latinx people. Here's a couple of things, Megan. A, you're right. Older people are kind of racist. Yes. Still. Two, the numbers show us that old people are not going to movies that much anymore during the pandemic. Oh, could it be because they'll die and it's not worth it? Yes. So that's one of the reasons. <sighs> Another reason is going to movies is something that people used to do as like, oh, it's Friday night or it's the weekend. That's just something we do and people aren't doing that anymore. So the only films that are really making their money back are event films, which is where the Mm. culture was already leaning to anyway. We were already going towards just like event films are the only films that do really well. All of these things combined. Wait, did this not also like release at the same time on streaming where you can pay to see it on streaming? Why? Why not? Well, because then you'd have to pay the makers of the film something different, which is why they kind of had to stop doing that. But Uh, it does. And it's also Steven Spielberg. And Steven Spielberg probably would have not wanted to. Isn't that like better for numbers, though? It's better for numbers. I don't don't know, know. man. I don't know the ins and outs of releasing on streaming. But no, they did not release this on streaming. It went into theaters and then it was released for free on streaming platforms afterwards no extra charge yeah which is not good for movies either because many people if they want to see west side story they'd make an hbo max account and then delete the account after they watch the film that they want to see because a lot of people do that yeah so anyway this film was based on romeo and juliet would you like to talk about romeo and juliet Megan? yeah sure we've talked about it before but here's the gist wait we've talked about Romeo and Juliet before on this podcast. It's shocking. There's like no, no adaptations <laughs> of Romeo so and Juliet. so hard to find one. <laughs> it's so difficult. There aren't like 75 in our list. So Romeo and Juliet are from two families who hate each other. We don't know why. It's just an ancient feud. But they fall in love with each other at a party and are like, wow, let's be married. I don't care about anything. But then a bunch of people die, and then they go, oops, what if it's us two? And then they end up dead. So it's a story about... Loving beyond what you're allowed to love. I can't think of the no. actual way to say that. Star-crossed? Star-crossed <laughs> lovers. The the thing from the intro of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's about star-crossed lovers risking it all to get that sex. And then defying fate slash sociological forces that are keeping them apart. But it doesn't work out because they die. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like fighting fate is hard. It's like fighting- It's almost like it's fate. I think- This is definitely not a comedy. (laughs) But Megan, in the Shakespeare books, they say it's a comedy sometimes. No, it's a romance. It's also as if genres are made up and some things defy classification. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I talk about some actors? Only if they're cute. Oh, Megan, I have all but one for you. (laughs) So let's transition over to Marquez's acting corner. So let's start out, Megan. 
Yeah. Rachel Ziegler as Maria. She is so freaking young. Just so you know, West Side Story had an open casting call and over 35,000 people submitted. I have to say, I love when someone as big as Steven Spielberg is like, open casting call, come on. It's awesome. It's incredible because he's like, my name can carry this. So I might as well see what talent's out there. He also needs young people who can sing and dance, which there are a lot in America that can do that. But he needs to find the best of the best because he has the resources and the clout. He's not directing some college Shakespeare play (laughs) where 30 people show up and you need to cast 12 of them. It's not like that. He watched probably not all 35,000. They probably got called for him. And for 50 of the actors, this is their first feature film, Rachel Ziegler included. That's so cool. And he called the main actors personally to tell them they got the role. Because Steven Spielberg is a straight up freak seven days a week because he loves to see their reactions of crying. I'm sorry, how old was Rachel when this was filmed? I believe she was 17 when this was filmed. So it's just like... She was 17 or 18. Hi, Rachel. Is this Rachel? Yeah, this is Rachel. I want you to be the lead in West Side Story. And And then she dies. Well, here was her response, Megan. She swore. (laughs) I love her. She says that she swore and that she apologized to her mom. Oh, I love her. Two, she asked if she could finish her high school production of Shrek the Musical. Oh my god, I love her. Because she was Fiona at the time. (laughs) And she was like, I totally want to do this. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm crying. I'm swearing. I need to finish. I need to finish Shrek the Musical. And Steven Spielberg's response was, I produced that film (laughs) at DreamWorks. Of course you can finish Shrek the Musical. Oh. This is her first role. She's a fucking movie star. She is cast as Snow White in the Disney live action version of that. I hate all of those, but good for her. She'll be the one part I like in it. Hopefully. What if they write it bad? They might. Uh, they always do. She has filmed Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods. What? She's in Shazam 2? She's going to be in Shazam 2. Do we know as who? A character that I'm not going to look up because if I told you... you, I just go, oh. I think it's just like as a god. Oh, that's cool. So that's cool. But like to think that she went from a high school production of Shrek to... Suddenly being in West Side Story. Three big things. And getting to meet Steven Spielberg and Steven Sondheim. And Steven Sondheim called her a nightingale for (gasps) her singing. Imagine you are a young (laughs) person. I'm going to cry. I'm literally about to cry. So anyway, that's uh, Rachel Ziegler. She rules. She rules school. And also, she's hot. It's true. Ariana DeBose as Anita. She was in Hamilton as the bullet, the representation of death, and the first person to die. Everyone talks about her. Yeah. I didn't realize it was her. She got Tony nominated for playing Donna Summer in Summer, the Donna Summer musical, Summer Musical Donna. Ooh. I added those last three words because <laughs> I, 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 figured. I wrote Summer three times. <laughs> <laughs> she was getting her nails done when she found out she was Anita. 
she started silent crying in front of her nail person. Her nail person said, is everything okay? And she's just like, everything's great. (laughs) She's already nominated for an Oscar for her role in this film. Hell yeah. She's the only actor to get a nomination from this film. Bullshit, but good for her. And she has already won the Screen Actors Guild Award. And she is the first Afro-Latina and openly queer actor to win. To win a Saggy? Yeah. I don't know what they're actually called. (laughs) Win a Saggy, Megan. We're going to call them. I believe it's just to win a Sag Award. Oh, okay. Which is still kind of funny. Here's my Sags. You want to see all the Sags I got? Also, Megan, one more note. Uh, She is very hot. Oh, that is true. That is true. Okay. Mike Feist as Riff. So Mike Feist was in Dear Evan Hansen as Connor, the kid that commits suicide in the beginning, which he got nominated for a Tony for. That's pretty good. Best Featured Actor. He also won a Grammy Award for Dear Evan Hansen album. That won Grammys? And a Daytime Emmy Award for performing on the Today Show for Dear Evan Hansen. Like, you can win Grammys. I, I'm really happy for him, but yeah. like, was that year just rough in the music scene? Don't talk to me about the year Dear Evan Hansen swept the award season. Do not talk to me okay, about I'm that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, That Marcus. was the same year that The Great Comet of 1812 oh, was released, no. which is a much better work of art. Oh. Sorry, Mike Feist. I love you. I also have another note here. Mike Feist is very hot. Oh, that is true. So, you know, worth it. Moving on. David Alvarez as Bernardo. He's very, very hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We don't need to say anything else, but we will. (laughs) Oh, I will. When he shows up in the actual movie, Megan, I have many notes. (laughs) Bernardo was the hardest role for them to cast. More like hottest role. (laughs) Sorry. Continue. They were looking for someone for six months and they couldn't find anyone. The casting director remembered that he was in Billy Elliot as one of the three boys who were Billy Elliot because they had to switch around because they're kids. Yeah. Those kids won a Tony, so he already has a Tony. Damn. They won a Tony at 10. God. Tenny. Tenny. And they went looking for him. And it turns out he quit acting. He was just living his life. Really? Yeah. He's like, all right, I have a Tony. I'm done. And they asked him to audition, and he got the role. Oh, my God. And another note, when Steven Spielberg called him. He said, hi, you're hot. (laughs) He said, I have some news for you. And David Alvarez responded, what is it, Mr. Spielberg? And Steven Spielberg said, listen, David, I'm going to have to ask you to start calling me Steven, because I'm going to start calling you Bernardo. Oh! I'm gl- I can't. I'm glad I'm sharing this for you for the very first time because this is also how I felt just listening to yeah. these interactions. That's great. Wait, you saw a video of them telling this story? Yeah. I'm going to watch that. Okay, okay. I want to watch that. Okay. Rita Moreno is very hot. She was Anita in the original film, the first film. She was Anita. Now she's not. She won an Oscar for playing Anita. Do you think this Anita will win an Oscar? And then I'll just be like, every Anita's won an Oscar. Yes. I think that's the narrative that the Oscars want to do. Listen. I mean, it is all just a fucking game. So I will say, Ariana DeBose, she totally deserves it. 
But do I think that the Oscars love to play into that narrative and are going to tip their finger on the scale just a little bit? If necessary, to get that story? Yeah. Yeah, they will. Because the Oscars don't really matter. But she deserves it, and I hope she wins, so... Yes. Back to Rita. Yes. She also has an EGOT. Oh, hell yeah. She's another EGOT. Hell yeah. I believe she won her Emmy for appearing as a guest star on The Muppet Show. Deserved. So, here's the thing about Rita. She's amazing. She really struggled in Hollywood growing up because there were no parts for actresses of her nationality. And she was constantly cast as island girls and Native Americans. and They're just like, you're brown? Yes. Except also, Megan, she's not that brown. No, she's not. They're not going to cast her as a white person. Correct. And that was a huge problem for her because on the original West Side Story, they made them put on makeup to make themselves darker and made them all basically one shade. Yeah. Which she complained about. Understandably. And in the new film, we see Puerto Ricans of all different skin colors because Puerto Rico has a very diverse racial makeup to it. But she enjoyed playing Anita because it was the first time she got to represent someone like her on screen and be very opinionated. Mm -hmm. Not just meek and mild. Anita has opinions. Anita has a voice and it's a very strong voice. And that really helped other actresses growing up in the industry. And many of the Latina actresses in West Side Story, the new one, got to work with someone they grew up idolizing. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) And like many of them have stories about the first time I saw myself represented Uh was her in West Side Story. And now I get to work with her. I get to hear stories from her and get complimented by her. Imagine getting complimented by someone who you wanted to be when you grew up. Ugh. And that's why this movie rules. <laughs> How she got cast was Steven Spielberg. Open casting call. Oh, she, she showed auditioned. up. <laughs> what happened was Steven Spielberg called her agent. Because you don't. You can't just call Rita. Correct. And Steven Spielberg said, can I have her number? And her agent was like, can Steven Spielberg have your number? She's like. Of course Steven Spielberg can have your number. I would love to call from Steven Spielberg. He's on my list. You can just give him my number. (laughs) And he called her and said, like, we're redoing West Side Story, and I would love for you to be in it. And she said, I don't do cameos. Sorry, like, I'm not just going to show up. So that people can go, hey! And then the camera cuts away from you. Yes. And so Steven Spielberg said, no. Tony Kushner has reimagined the role of Doc, who owned the drugstore in the original, to be you. You're going to play Valentina, Doc's widow, who married a white man. He died. You now own the drugstore, and you are kind of like Tony and Maria if they... Made it. Made it. Spoilers. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, sign me on. I'm a producer (laughs) of this film now. She's there. She plays Valentina. She's a new character. So good. And it's amazing. Anyway, Ansel Elgort. Ansel Elgort plays Tony. He was in Baby Driver and The Fault in Our Stars. So in any way, in 2020, one woman accused him of sexual assault and another of sending her unsolicited dick pics when he was 20 and she was 14 and he's a sex pest because we believe women. So all that's to say he's um not hot. 
Correct. And that's the downer ending to the acting corner. Yay! Well, okay. Uh, um, to talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. Because I must. Yes. I have heard people online complaining, why didn't they just recast him? Why didn't they, like... Because they changed 10 blocks of New York, was it 10? Yes. Into the thing. They couldn't just put him in front of a green screen. They'd have to do everything from scratch. A, there was He's that. the lead. There was, there's that. And that alone would be enough of a reason to do this. The second thing, Megan, is that this film, it was filmed in 2019. Yeah. And then it was pushed to 2021. And this stuff about Ansel Elgort came out like right when the movie was supposed to come out originally. And then it got pushed. That's so late into the production. They'd have to just redo the entire production. And then you'd have to pay double what you already paid for your passion project. Yeah. So listen, you can watch this film and it does color your view of it. Of course it will. But also, I think that everyone else does a good enough job that you can at least put it to the back of your mind for a little bit. So anyway... Let's be honest. No one's watching Romeo and Juliet for Romeo. That's also something I wanted to mention, but we will get into that when we get into the film, (laughs) because I will talk about Tony. So can we start the film? Yes, we can, Megan. Okay, Megan. First off, something that is very important to any film is what's the first thing you see and yeah. what's the last yeah, thing you I was see. Yeah, I was going to say that too. And so this film, the first thing you see is a warning that there's tobacco depictions in this film. Oh, oh. wait, that was added on the streaming services. Whoops. Yeah, okay, good. Because that's not what my note was about. <laughs> no, no, no. Mine wasn't about that either, but I wanted to mention it because it's wild. Guys, tobacco exists. He's in st- this film. People stab each other in this film. People <laughs> shoot each other <laughs> in this film. They have sex in this. Ah, tobacco. Tobacco is wacky, right? <laughs> but anyway, the first actual shot of this film is of a construction site with some slums being torn down in favor of the Lincoln Center in New York City, which is historically what these kids were living through at the time, an addition by Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg that wasn't in the original work. I think that this is really, one, it's very different to Romeo and Juliet, but I feel like Romeo and Juliet needs something like this because this is a big change happening in the location that can make tensions higher. Megan, well, in Romeo and Juliet, it's just like, we don't even know why we're fighting, but also it's always been this bad and it's still horribly bad. So what I love about that, what you just said, Megan, we don't know why we're fighting. They don't know why they're really fighting. No. Because to understand the racial, cultural, economic existence that you live under day to day is unfathomable by young people. Except in, like, the age of the internet, but, like... Yeah, like, if you're a poor person before the internet, you don't have time to research history. You know what's in front of you, you know what's happening to you, and that's what you know. So these kids don't know what they're fighting about, because they're fighting over nothing. Uh, So anyway, that rules. Thank you, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner, providing context in, like, your opening shot of where we are 
and what's happening. We don't even need a bunch of exposition being like, well, blah, blah, tensions, blah, blah, Lincoln Center, blah, blah. We get that later. Not and even, even then, it's not even a boring, drawn-out exposition. No. It's just, we they just mention get... it again. My one problem with this scene. What's up, man? It's a beautiful opening scene. I'm very interested. I'm very in. But I don't know who anyone is. No one says a name. No one interacts with each other verbally, really. And I don't know who anyone is for Romeo and Juliet. So I just kind of stared at it going, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? That guy knows how to make guys come. Like, join him, not not ejaculate. Come on, Marquez. I mean, maybe. Megan. He's very attractive. Megan? Okay, so here's several things, Megan. You're not supposed to know that. I man. know, but I'm trying to make notes for a podcast about Shakespeare. That's fair, but out of context, it's beautiful. All we know is that these are boys they're not doing law abiding citizens no things. they see a men at work sign they knock it over because they're punks and also they're hot and they're a bunch of twinks and where did steven spielberg find all these twinks a uh, thirty-five thousand auditions, auditions. And he's like hi you're you are not riff or tony but i would like you to be one of the 17 hot twinks in the first scene and they're like <laughs> I'm in. Steven Spielberg lets dancing be shown. Okay, so audience, you don't know this, but since we first started looking at adaptations, one of the adaptations I've really wanted to cover is the Romeo and Juliet ballet. And we've put a hold on that because we were like, how are we going to talk about just dancing? What are we going to do? So we're kind of scared. So (laughs) we're not doing that anytime soon. But... Seeing this gave me a bit of that desire that I had to do that ballet and also like confidence that it is possible to understand a story. I mean, I knew it was you were able to get a story just through dance. I knew that because I'm a patron of the arts, but it kindled something in me from the first time that I heard about the Romeo and Juliet ballet. And I'm just really happy because a lot of movie musicals won't do a like 19 minute thing before anyone talks of just dancing and movement and getting a vibe for the setting and characters without putting in a narration or talking over it. Also, movie musicals make the mistake of making shots quote unquote dynamic when really what you want to see is people dancing because they're talented and Steven Spielberg knows how to shoot things because he's a good director and other musicals will have someone dancing and they'll cut to other people watching them dancing. Oh, I hate it. And I'm like, I want to see the dance. They're like, wow, what a good dance. I'm like, yeah, I wish I was seeing it. Because the point of going to see someone dance in the theater is that you get to see them dance. And maybe films should learn this too. What we see is these boys who are the Jets, go take paint and they go to the Puerto Rican neighborhood. So they use the paint to defile a mural of the Puerto Rican flag, which starts out a fight between the Jets and the Sharks. So first off, I have a question. It's not so much a question. It's really a comment. Once again, it seems we're getting a Romeo and Juliet where we go, oh, one side is bad. I know that they're both violent gang types, basically, but 
one is racist and the other is um, reacting to the racism they're facing. You are correct that that's where we start out. But that's not where we that's end That's not up. where we end. But uh, yeah. And Steven Spielberg is way more deft. Yes, that this. is true. <laughs> that is true. But at the beginning, I was like, really? So then I realized that Mr. Spielberg, like us, was a huge fan of the magical legend of the leprechauns. Because during this fight, not only one, is there a younger member of the gang who is on lookout and he whistles a la the small leprechaun in Magical Legend of the Leprechauns who's left outside of the bar and dance to Megan, warn them. Side note to your note. Yes. This character is called Anybody's, originally cast as a girl who is a tomboy, who is a... Trans man in this one. Trans man played by a non-binary trans actor. <gasps> man, good job, Steven. We will talk about Anybody's Hell more yeah. in depth. From the beginning, we see that Anybody's goes up to the Jets and is like, hey, I'm a member too. And they're like, get out of here. But then Anybody's proves useful by whistling to be like hey the sharks are coming yes i'm the young child leprechaun except anybody's is not the young no 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 but it still holds the same vital role yes then they jump into a cart hauling melons Mm -hmm. and they push the melons out of the back of it like when they're running away in the magical legend of the leprechauns and they jump into the back of that farmer's wagon and push all of his produce out to stop the fairies. That's not from Romeo and Juliet, Marquez. That's from magical legend of the leprechauns. Counterpoint. What? You called us huge fans of magical legend of the leprechauns. (laughs) Marquez, we made an FMV about it. I wouldn't call us huge fans of magical legend of the leprechauns. But I would call Steven Spielberg one. Hell yeah. A few things, Megan, to note that you might have missed. Because it was the first time I've ever seen this or any version of West Side Story. But also it's very subtle. Okay, good. So when they start fighting, our babyist jet, whose name is Baby John, whacks a shark upside the head with this paint can. Oof. And later we see that Baby John gets caught by the sharks and gets a needle pushed through his earlobe, which is rough. But I will say that's just retaliation for getting hit upside the head. Because it might seem like, oh, why did they pick on this baby twink so much? They could have given you a concussion or knocked you out. So the sharks get the baby John. Who shows up? It's the cops, Officer Krupke and Lieutenant Shrank. And Lieutenant Shrank is played by Corey Stoll, not in the acting corner. He was the bad guy in Ant-Man. First Ant-Man. And they're like, we're cops. Stop fighting. Especially you Puerto Ricans. We hate you because we're racist shitbags. And you guys are going to get evicted because of the Lincoln Center. And it's only a matter of time. This is where we get the information. It's only a matter of time before the entire neighborhood is torn down. So they're fighting over nothing. But for now, it's something, and that's what matters. Who knows how long construction will take? You've got to live in the now. Correct. Bernardo seems to be the leader of the Sharks, a.k.a. Tybalt, a.k.a. Hot Man. He has the greatest arm veins in the history of existence. <laughs> arm veins freak me out, and I didn't even mind them. They're very hot. He is very hot. I, veins just... I don't like seeing veins. They that's scare fair. me. But... On screen, on the big screen, I saw this on the big screen before I watched it with you. He is very hot. 
I knock people sometimes for saying you got to see this on the big screen as opposed to at home because I think it's okay if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, big shocker. Except this is the one time when I actually believe that you should see this on the big screen because Bernardo is so beautiful. Ugh. But also, I think this film is expertly shot and does actually benefit to being on the big screen. I'm making a joke into seriousness. I actually do think that this is like the only film where watching it on the small screen, I was like, eh. some of Steven's shots are actually like breathtaking on the big screen. And, yeah. and you're just like, wow, what a good shot on regular screen. Correct. So he is very angry. And he's like, we're not relocating. We're not getting evicted. We're not moving. We're not letting the Jets win and i love him because the jets just seem like racist assholes and i don't like racism and of course the cops are worse because they're like ah, 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 stop the fighting but we're on the jet side yes okay so a couple <sighs> things here megan yeah lieutenant shrank says if you got a problem you call the cops you're part of this neighborhood to which bernardo says well if we call them you'll just arrest us not them mm -hmm. establishing that two Lieutenant Shrank, throughout this whole scene, is egging on the sharks, not the jets, to attack him. Yep. He slaps one of them in the face, expecting retaliation, and he pulls his coat aside to go for his gun. And it's very subtle, but you can see that he does do that. Not a lot of emphasis put on it. Which is beautiful Steven Spielberg directing. Yeah. Because it's just reality. They don't like close up on the gun. No, he just does it. And if you don't notice it, the scene works just fine. And if you do notice it, it's enhanced. After a bit, the sharks go to leave. But as a form of protest, they start singing Boring Kenya, which is the Puerto Rican national anthem, not in the original work. Steven Spielberg. Great Tony addition. It's so good. Great addition, because it's just the national anthem. I need to speak on something. They've added this in to the musical. Something that Steven Spielberg didn't do, he did not add an original song just to play for an Oscar for Best Original Song, which most adaptations of musicals always put in some song that doesn't fit in with everything else. It usually is just... No, this is a passion Peace. Correct. This is not a moneymaker. Exactly. Ugh. And it rules. Because, like, the last time I think that that worked was, like, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. Yeah. <laughs> the last time they added in something that you're like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. I do want to mention, even though the Jets are racists, they're not snitches. Because, of course, as we were talking about, the cops are on the Jets' side. So they're like, who of the sharks did this to this baby boy, Baby John? Who did it? Who's the evil Puerto Rican? And they're all like, nah, I don't know. I fell. Yeah, it just happened. Who knows? And I'm like, good. Cops are worse than racists. <laughs> well, racist cops are worse than racists. So after the Puerto Ricans leave, the cops turn to the Jets. And Lieutenant Shrank gives this long monologue about how these people who are left, the Jets, are the can't-do Caucasians. Everyone else up and left this neighborhood made a name for themselves. Did the American dream. Except for these guys. So they are... Because your parents are lazy drunks and nobodies. And these are the rats that can't flee from the sewers when they're being flooded. 
And I love that establishment because it definitely changes the tune from these guys being a racist white gang. These are ethnic white people. They are marginalized not as much as people of color because that really wasn't a thing because obviously the cops want to help them, quote unquote, because they're one of us. But there is a lot of pressure on them to succeed, even though the cards are against them. Yeah, completely. And I think it's good that they establish that. Yes. And that the Jets don't like the cops. They think that they're selling out. And they think the cops are on no one's side. The cops are on the cops' side. So anyway, Lieutenant Shrank is the prince. Yes. Because he represents... Order and society. Correct. Except... He sucks. Well, I was going to say, in this version, the people fighting are not upper-class families with a few that goes back generations. They are the bottom rung of society, which makes that interesting. Makes it more clear why they're fighting, instead of just two rich families who are fighting for no reason. We find out Riff is Mercutio. Thank you, finally, movie, for letting it be obvious to me that Riff is Mercutio. Yes. And Tony is on parole from being in prison, and he obviously is going to be Romeo. And God, it would suck if Tony were played by some sort of sex pest, Megan. <laughs> so a couple things established here. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> I was going to say that they mentioned that Puerto Ricans are Americans. They do. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm sure that wasn't originally in this. <laughs> no, I'm glad that the Jets established themselves as actually not racist. Yes. They- like, I mean, they are. They are. But they're not as racist as they could be. Riff. Uses a slur. Yes. Against Bernardo straight up. Straight So I'm still more on the shark's side. Correct. Uh, But you understand that these people have nothing. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, well... I understand, but you are still being racist. Yeah. So anyway, Megan, this song rules. It's called Jet Song. That's such a bad name. This is the hottest riff is... Is he's confident. They talk about how they're going to the dance tonight. The which, dog days dance at the gym. Yeah, it's a social mixer. So we'll mix. God, he's so hot because he's charismatic. Yeah. Because he isn't like traditionally super hot. I will also say, I was talking to Marquez about this this morning. Steven Spielberg's a good director. Yes. And he's good at creating a period piece where people sound like they're from when they're from. And it doesn't sound like acting. That's what Riff sounds like. You just pulled him out of history. The Jet song ends. And one thing I love is at the end of that scene, Megan, at the end of Jet song, one of the Jets throws a brick in the air. And then in the next scene, Tony catches a can. And it's like almost to the beat, like when you'd expect that brick to fall. And also like a nice beat at the end of the song to transition scenes in a hard cut without it seeming that hard of a cut. So anyway, Steven Spielberg's a good director. That's going to be like the 2000th time we've said that so far. And anyway, it's Tony and Riff's like, Tony, you got to go to the dance because I literally just told everyone you would, even though I you didn't tell me you would. And also you are cool, calm and collected and I like to run my mouth. So if we're there together, I won't run my mouth as much. You'll shut me up. Yeah. And I think that that 
is establishing something. It's good. good. It's a good thing for your mere Q show to be like, hi, I'm going to start shit. I need you to stop me. Please hold me back. And Tony doesn't want to do this. And the first thing that Riff brings up is, is this about Graziella? Because I'm dating her now. And okay. You like Weird her. flex. Weird decision to be like, remember Rosalind from Romeo and Juliet? What if Mercutio just started sleeping with her? He would, though. Mercutio? If he had the chance? Yeah, but it's it's just a very different... Because it's like, oh, come on. Why are you so sad all the time, man? Because I'm stupid, Yvette. Flames on the side of my face. Breathing. Breathless. I don't know why I said that. You always use stupid event as a reference. <laughs> so here's my thing, Ian. I think it's a mistake to establish uh, Riff as straight. Uh, I'm, I'm joking. Right? I don't take it as him being straight. It's fine. <laughs> he can be bi. Yeah. He's got two hands. We find out in this scene that Tony almost killed a guy in a past rumble. And that's why he's not a part of this. He went to jail. He served his time. You've changed so much. You're not even fun anymore. It's like almost killing a person soured your mood. Jeez. Riff literally just says, you gotta get over that. And I'm like, (laughs) that that he almost killed a guy and went to prison because of it? Come on. So what I like here is Riff. This is a good Riff scene. It's a very good Riff scene. We get our backstory we want for Riff. Yes. So... Tony's talking all about, you know, I had time to reflect upon myself and I want to change who I am. And Riff is like, I don't know who I am. I don't think about those type of things. You're a poet. I'm not. And he goes on to say, you know, I wake up to everything I know, either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like and they don't like me. And I get Riff. I don't get Mercutio. Oh, Mercutio is like the cousin to the prince prince, and he's got everything. Yeah. And and he's just like, I've got power. So I just want to screw around. And then he dies for it. And we're supposed to feel bad. Like, fuck around and find out, man. Listen, Riff is a better character than Mercutio. And I will say this. And all he has are the Jets. And Tony started the Jets with him. They were the first two. And Tony's like just leaving it. Which I understand, Tony. Oh, absolutely. But I also understand why Riff is like, you're the other parent of this with me and you're just leaving me. Yeah, the Jets is the only thing that Riff has. And now he's losing it. So he leaves. He's like, if you love me, you'll be at that dance. You know, womb to tomb was never a joke for me. Because they say womb to tomb, sperm to worm, which we said at the beginning. Which is just a wild... It's a wild thing to say to your friends all the time. <laughs> yep. But yeah, he says, he's like, I wasn't just saying stuff. And Tony's like, I wasn't just like, I, yeah, I think that too. But like, maybe not to the point of killing other people and sending them to their tomb. Okay, so then we meet Rita Moreno. Oh, Valentina is so good. And when I first saw her, I was like, I'm assuming this is Friar Lawrence. Because she's like a father figure towards our Romeo character. And now that I know that it was originally a male role, I'm like, okay, it obviously was Friar Lawrence, but now she's just an even better Friar Lawrence. Yes, correct. She tells Riff, like, I don't want you in my store. You always steal from me. And he does, in fact, go to steal a candy bar. No, he just steals it and then says, Tony, you pay for it. And then she's just like, he's racist and you're not racist, Tony. Don't hang out with racist people. And Tony's like, he doesn't hate you. And she's like, He looks at me and sees a gringo because I married a gringo, but I'm not because I ain't. I love that. I love how she says because I ain't. Yes. 
it's just a great establishing moment of how roles like that work because Rita Moreno is pretty light-skinned Latina. Yeah, like she could possibly pass, but she doesn't want to. And even if she could, deep down, she knows that what... she's Puerto Rican. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when people say, oh, I hate all Mexicans. And then they're like, oh, but not you, Marquez. Yes. And you're like, has happened. But I'm a Mexican. Has happened that people have said, oh, but the one I met is good. That's not how that works. Yes. You're saying that about them. So uh, I love her so yeah. much immediately. And Tony sings, oh, wait, Steven Spielberg shot that I love. They talk about him cleaning the floors. And then we show the floors and we see their reflection in the floors. And it's so good. That shot is so good. And then uh, Tony sings a song about how something's coming around the bend. Just around the river bend. He's like, I think I'll get something good if I wait for it. But actually, it might be tonight. So maybe I don't really have to wait. (laughs) I have a question for you, Megan. Yeah. Ansel Elgort is Tony. Good? I mean, not bad. I think it is very interesting. If he weren't a sex pest, I wouldn't think it was bad. Here's the thing. Yeah. I think it's very interesting because I cannot look at this role without that knowledge. But if I try, I do think that he is the weakest of the main cast. Even without that knowledge, I think he's the weakest of the main cast. So here's the thing. Tony's the most boring character. Correct. He's got pretty words. He's got some pretty songs. And it's not his fault. It's one of those things where you're like, hey, once you almost kill a kid, it kind of puts a damper on you. Um, well, well, even then, <laughs> even if you don't like mention that, he's just boring. He's like a kid who doesn't want to be involved in the plot and then gets thrust into the plot. And that's a Romeo problem as well. Like, because like if he went kicking and screaming, you'd be like, oh, that's interesting. But he's just kind of like, oops, I'm here now. Romeo kind of has an agency problem that Juliet, you think she would, but Juliet takes action against it and goes to Friar Lawrence and says, how can I fix this? Well, he just cries. Yes. Ansel Elgort needs to be way more charismatic as Tony in this song, especially. But at the same time, I think that Maria is where you should be the most charismatic. And I think spoilers that he is during that song. Yes, 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 yes. Which is weird because I want you to introduce Tony and be immediately endeared to him. But I don't think you truly are until Maria, which is a little bit later. Yeah. So I don't think it's fair to judge him at this point. So here's what I think this song needs. I think if this song had a section that was more upbeat and he could have fun. Yes. We'd like him. Because when he's having fun, I like Tony. But he doesn't get that for a while. Moving on, we finally meet Maria. And she's on a balcony the first time we see her. Because Juliet's big scene is balcony scene is big scene for Juliet. And we see Maria on a balcony. So it's a fire escape. Yeah. Because it's New York City, baby. I love it. Wouldn't be able to do this really in Chicago because we don't really have fire escapes. In... Which I don't understand. <laughs> Why don't we? <laughs> we meet Anita. She's the nurse, which alone is a big thing that is different from Romeo and Juliet. The nurse is dating Tybalt. And she's young and she's hot. 
And she's like a great friend to Maria while also being like a mother figure because Tybalt is her older brother instead of her cousin and is her brother while also being a parental figure to Maria. And she is fiery, whereas Maria is new to all this. Yes. Which is a great It's so good. Anyway, so like to show that, they're getting ready for the dance and Maria's wearing all white because that's all she has. And she's like, I wish I had a different dress. And Anita is wearing this like red and black gorgeous dress with this red belt. And to help Maria not look so bridal, basically, she takes off her red belt and puts it on Maria. Perfect small thing. Anita wants the people around her to speak English. (laughs) That is such a brilliant device that is being used. Because one, it makes sense for the setting. Two, Steven Spielberg, when they speak Spanish, does not translate. He famously does not like putting subtitles in his films because he likes the actions to be clear and the intentions of his actors to be clear no matter what language they're speaking. And you get that in this movie. I love that in books, in film, in anything. If it's just like, hey, sometimes they speak their language. If you don't speak, maybe you should have learned it. Yeah. But like, you can get what's going on. But anyway, it's a brilliant device for the setting. And also, because otherwise it would be like, well, why wouldn't they just speak in Spanish when they're at home? And also- Because you have Anita being like, the listeners are probably not Spanish speaking. Yeah. And Anita wants to... Fit uh, in in America. Yeah. She wants to be a Puerto Rican who is an American. Yes, correct. And she wants to be in this country. It's genius. It's genius. Literally, every time she was like speaking English, I was just like, God, it's so smart because it's so realistic. And it's an excuse for us to be able to understand their conversations. And also giving Maria a splash of red is genius because all of the sharks wear warm colors like reds and yellows and giving her a splash of red on her white dress establishes her as this is the first time you are going out as part of us because this is just her first time out she's going to go on a date with chino who's a nice boy that bernardo set her up with because he's paris he doesn't want her to date juvenile delinquents like him Which is great. Great. It's so accurate. It's like, I don't want you to date someone like me. And you don't want to date someone like me. So here's someone that's not like He's like going to be an accountant. (laughs) He goes to night classes. He's learning how to fix adding machines. Do you know how many of those are in New York City? So many. This boy is going places. Like jail. Spoilers. Spoilers. Another great thing is Maria is like, Anita, I want to borrow your red lipstick. Everyone sees me as a kid. She's like, as you are a kid. And she's like, I, I want to wear red lipstick. I'm, so, I am 19. I'm 19. I'm not a kid. I so have she, a job. I pay red. So she puts on the lipstick. And then as soon as Bernardo and Chino walk in, she wipes it off immediately. Cause she's like, I can't do it. And then there's just a great moment that I really like between Bernardo and Chino, where basically Bernardo's like, hey, is it weird that I'm your best friend, but you're not my best friend? That is true. They do have that nice moment <laughs> where, where Chino is just like, Bernardo, you're the greatest. You- Let me be a shark. I want to be just like you. And he's like, man, I am your best friend, aren't I? But you're too smart to be a shark. Don't do that. It's funny, though, because we don't see like Bernardo having... A close friend. (laughs) No, he's got Anita. It's just such a funny moment to me. Anyway, they're like, all right, time to go to the dance. And they leave. And then as soon as they're out the door, Maria's like, 
Nah, I'm gonna put on the red lipstick and she puts it on real quick, which I'm like, impressive, girl. Yeah. And then she leaves. Okay. We go to the dance. It is a beautiful long shot. Good job, Steven Spielberg. It pans across the room, showing each and every character and what they're doing at this dance before cutting away. Everyone's hot. It is shocking how hot these people are in old clothes. I also have to say, it's really funny to me because at the start, it's all just Jets and their girls. It's like, it's all white people. Yes. Because they're boring, so they get to the dance on time and Puerto Ricans all show up fashionably late. And (laughs) they're cool. And then people bump into each other and a fight starts to break out, but is stopped by Officer Krupke and a nerd. I'm so glad all the cops are at our school dances. It's a social mixer, but we also need the cops on hand with guns. God. The nerd guy tries to do a social mixer and have boys line up in one circle and girls line up in another and they circle They do musical chairs, basically. With dance partners. With partners partners instead of chairs. Something that I noticed is he says that he wants everyone to mix it up so that we can ease the tensions and then someone insults him in Spanish and he goes, English, please, at social events which is really silencing them while also trying to say, let's mix it up. Let's mix it up and be welcoming to each other, but But, don't speak fucking Spanish. But please assimilate to my culture. (laughs) Uh, It's a great microaggression, which I think- It's a great microaggression. Good job, Steven. (laughs) I think he does microaggressions really well in this because if you are white, you might not notice them. But if you're not, you definitely notice them. You're just like, oh, oh, oh. And, of course, people end up with a partner who's not from their side of town. And that's when Anita yells to the band to start a mambo. And they're like, screw your musical person game. We're out. We're going to our people. Hey, Anita sounds so vivacious when she starts this. Yes. It is so good. There are people of color in the band who know to get it started so it's like very subtle of just like well i know that guy he's in the band he would know to play my music it's a trope in a few different things i can't name a single one but where it'll be like someone who's the entertainer or the help is a person of color like me and i can rely on them yeah and they'll back me up it rules (laughs) in like a socially acceptable way yeah and it's beautiful They do it right, and the music starts. It's probably the second or third best song is Mambo. And Megan, I need to show you this. I recently came across a composer who, in a orchestra, orchestrated Mambo. And the musicians start dancing. The conductor points to the audience to have them yell Mambo in the song. That's so good. amazing. I'm showing it to you, and I'm going to... Put it in the episode description because it's great. Tony's here. Yes. And everyone is dancing to this great orchestration. The song rules. Tony is here. Chino puts down his nerd glass. I mean, he doesn't put down his nerd glass. He puts down his jacket. Puts down his nerd jacket and he jumps into the dance and it's so good. We established that Chino said that he doesn't dance. Yeah. He's like, I don't dance. But he wants to dance for Maria. It's so good. He's he's so so cute. cute. He's so cute. Chino is hot. He's hot. He's cute hot. 
Oh. Uh, and anyway, Tony, though, sees Maria and starts stalking her like a shark. I might be projecting onto it because I know he's a sex pest. You are, Megan, because what I put down is this is better than Boz Lerman and then seeing each other between the aquarium. It is a perfectly shot. Everything between them is busy. The focus is entirely on them. Yeah. And so, despite all the busyness, they are staring directly at each other. They are clear in the shot, which is exceedingly difficult to do with things going on between them. But it is shot so masterfully that you get it. You get that they are the only person in this very, very busy room. And they go behind the bleachers to meet. And I'm mad for Chino. He was going to dance for her. It's fine. They go behind the bleachers. And I will say... Everything else fades away. Yeah. A new orchestration starts. And the movie starts singing. The movie itself starts singing. I am great. This is a great film. Yes. We will suddenly think the sex pest is cute. Correct. Because... He's, like, anxious. And it's kind of bumbly, but not like in a dumb way. Just like, you know, wow, this girl's so cute. I'm stumbling over my words way. And she? Okay, here's where we differ from Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, Romeo makes the first moves. Yes. West Side Story, Maria's making all the moves. She starts dancing with him. She kisses him. Okay, well, I'm I'm getting ahead. I'm just so excited. She has agency. I know, I know. So, it's a musical. Yeah. What do you do? Dance. You dance instead of a sonnet. You dance together. Correct. And it rules. Their dance is weird. I love it, Megan. They're in sync with each other. I, I, I you like, not like the snaps, Megan? I think it's very different from most Romeo and Juliet's because they are not that entwined with each other. I disagree. I think this dance is perfect. I think that... Well, what I'm saying is like a lot of Romeo and Juliet's have them be like, we are handsy. We are... Oh, yeah. Uh, all Like, it, it's a too far thing for a lot of them. Okay, and okay. I, I feel like this one, they are still not one person yet. Like, they're not inseparable, but they're like, we're connected. She goes in for a kiss, and he's like, what the heck? And yeah, pulls I, away. I, I, so, I, I, like, they're not fully in sync. I don't know. It's cute, and it's great. And then he's just like, I don't know. I'm kind of a by-the-book type. Try me again. Which is just taking Juliet's line things, where she's like, you kiss by the book. When Romeo tries to kiss her, and then there's the trespass sweetly urge giving me my sin again, which is try me again. It's so good. And then they kiss, for real. A couple lines that I love. Yeah. You're tall, she says to him, is so well delivered and so funny because yeah, yeah he is compared he, to you he's six three and she's five two he's a full foot taller than doesn't her. doesn't he respond with you're not yes <laughs> he responds with you're not which is great and she says you're not puerto rican and he says how could you tell it's just all of these little she's lines like oh, i couldn't and... really i wasn't couldn't be sure from up there <laughs> yes and all of these are very cute, <sighs> neat, cute lines, and it works. It works despite everything, which is, I think, a testament to Steven, the actors, the music, Considering everything. how much it's in my head that he's a sex pest. Yes. And I still found myself giggling. Yes. And like all caps noting about how cute they are. So then Maria gets called by her family slash Anita. Anita's her family. Anita's her family. From outside. 
and she goes and that's where Tony learns that her name is Maria. See, the funny thing is like, you don't need someone to be like, wait, but who is that? What? My dearest love sprung from my only hate because it's just like, oh, you're Puerto Rican. That's enough. Well, (laughs) Tony comes out from behind the bleachers. Mistake. Mistake. You wait until she's gone and no one's looking at the bleachers anymore. But he's like, hi, I was also there with her. But the thing is, it's because he wants to be a good guy and introduce himself to her family because he doesn't think that. He's been gone for a year. I'm assuming tensions have risen. I mean, he he knows about it because Riff has told yes. him, but he goes out to introduce he him. He lives with Valentina. He thinks it's possible. Yes. So he's just like, hi, my name is Tony. I met your sister. Uh, oh, Bernardo does not like that. And all he says is like, hi, my name is Tony. I met your sister. Didn't say I kissed her under the bleachers and she kissed me first. He just like is trying to introduce himself and Bernardo's like, what were you doing with my sister? Shove. Yes. And almost starts a fight and Riff sees an opportunity and intercedes and goes like, hey, 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 let's calm down and we can talk about things in the bathroom together alone. Alone, just you and me uh, in a stall. Oh, I mean with multiple people. Right. They can join. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting. Graziella in general, I think is interesting because as we mentioned, you're like, here's Rosalind, but she's with Mercutio. And also she continues to be part of the plot. Yeah. Like the cops try to break up this start of a fight and Graziella's like, come on, they weren't even fighting. Like Riff is going to start a fight with them later. And then the cops are like, excuse me, what? And she's like, no. And we just like cut away from it. But well, like the cops don't care. But also she's mad at Riff because she wants to dance. She just wants to dance with the person that she likes. I don't like her, but I feel bad for her. Yeah, she's fine. I don't have any opinion on Graziella. Maria, Anita, they leave. And Tony is like, looks to Riff, like, do I stay with my boyfriend? No, my girlfriend. Yes. And he leaves after, but she's already out of sight because he took that moment giving one last look to his boyfriend Riff. So we cut to the bathroom meetup. And Riff and Bernardo are like, where should we meet? Here? No. Here? No. Here? Because they just can't agree on anything. And they're just like, where's that? Yes. <laughs> like, one, they don't go to the same places. Yeah. Brilliant. They don't know the same spots. Two, they don't want to agree to anything the other team says. Because then they won. Yeah. They won choosing the meetup. So one thing is, that's established here in other places, is some people understand the Spanish And Riff understands that Bernardo's asking where is the place and he responds to him in Spanish. And it's like, yeah, you can understand each other better if you just took the effort to. You just don't. It's like, oh, you learned Spanish enough so that you can know when they're talking shit about you, but not so that you could communicate better. So they establish that they're going to meet at the salt shacks and there's no knives and no guns. Nothing that punctures. Yes. Essentially. Just brute force damage. Brute force blunt damage choking. Come on, guys. Internal bleeding. What's that? The blood is on the inside. That's a good (laughs) thing. thing. (laughs) That's where the blood's supposed to be. And Riff's like, Tony will be there. And Bernardo's like, good. Because I hate Tony with everything in my being because he was behind the bleachers with my sister. So we move on to Tony. And this is where I realized, oh, yes, of course he doesn't want to blow his load on something's coming because he has Maria. And that's your big show-stopping number for Tony. Yeah. That's where you need to go all out. And I think he does here. Yes. I, and he could still put a little more in Oh, something. he could put a little zhuzh on it. A little bit. Uh, but I, it works. 
I think it's incredible because there's a moment that is a trope that I really love in musicals yep. where someone who is not involved reacts. In this, it is a janitor. He turns on the lights that are like, it's like, wow, where are these spotlights suddenly turning on? And then it's like, it's a janitor who's so, uh, doing the rounds. At first you think it's non-diagetic. Yeah. But that no. It's a beautiful half-diagetic, half-non-diagetic. Because it's clear that people are aware that he is sort of singing, but they're reacting as though he's singing to himself. Like and the janitor kind of does like a nice, like as he walks by and like, pushing sure, his cart, sure, he's just like just nodding along like, oh, good for this kid. <laughs> and I love it. You just met a girl named Maria. Yeah, Good yeah. for you. Good for you. Yeah, the rest of the world is just reacting normally. Because he's doing things like he knows she has a balcony. She, he knows she's in the Puerto Rican part of town. He goes to three different balconies that aren't her. Mm -hmm. And I love that because why would he know what balcony sir is? He doesn't. In fact, he gives up. Which is great. And different from Romeo and Juliet, where obviously you know where the Capulets Because are. they're rich and they have a house that you're like, that's the Capulets house. It wouldn't make sense in this setting. So he starts to leave and she's like, um, wait, Tony, I'm actually here. Because I was sitting on the balcony listening to you and you didn't see me. There's also another amazing shot where Tony is standing in the water and like the lights ripple in the water while he's singing out for Maria. And it's just a gorgeous shot. He talks to Maria and he's just like, it's fine. Everybody likes me. Like, just let me talk to Bernardo and it'll be fine. She's like, no, there's no one that everybody likes. And he's like, Okay, whatever. As long as you like me, that's all I care about. And I'm it's like, cute. Uh-oh, uh Bernardo is here, but it's okay because him and Anita are just gonna straight up go fuck. They are so into each other. Good for them. And Tony starts pulling himself up the fire escapes, which I'm like, aren't there stairs? It doesn't matter. Megan. What? Don't fire escapes have stairs? Can yeah, I do but them? he's in love. I know, with Cupid's wings, I were perched these walls, etc. Yeah, it would be really boring. Megan, I know that you're trying to I... be logical, but it'd be very boring. What if, if he falls to his death trying to sing to this He's not going to because know, it's a movie. what if he did? It'd be very boring to just be like, hi, let me just walk <laughs> up these steps. Because they do do this great thing where he gets a, a certain length up and then the gate is locked and she's like, it doesn't have a key and it's locked. And he's like, you really should call someone about that. And she's like, sure, sure, whatever. <laughs> it is good. It's weird, though, that he's like, actually, I'll try the gate at this one instead of just pulling myself over like all the rest. But anyway, he's like, run away with me tomorrow. And she's just like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then he's like, also, don't look at any other person tomorrow. I think and she's like, yeah, okay. I'm like, she lives with two people. It, I think she has to see someone. Listen, that's a line from the original. I can tell. <laughs> and then they start singing a song that Megan doesn't recognize at first. No, I didn't know this first beginning bit of it that was boring. But then they get into Tonight. And I was like, oh, it's Tonight. And also, I want to mention, there's a lot of references to the moon and stars, which is reminiscent of, you know, Juliet is the sun, cast away the envious moon, etc. But uh, being, you know. Also, tonight is an iambic pentameter. Yeah. Which is also a reference to the play Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Tonight, tonight. I do also like that they're consistently separated by architecture in this. Until the end. Until the end. When they kiss. When they kiss. 
They agree to meet tomorrow at 2 p.m. because she works at night and a date is set. I'm gonna be real. Rachel Ziegler is running circles around Ansel here. They also keep in a really great thing where she's like, oh, I gotta go because Bernardo called me, which would be the nurse in the play or her mother or whoever it is. It's not Tybalt. And then she's like, wait. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, I, I don't remember why I called you. And he's just, just like, oh, I'll just wait till you remember. And it's so cute. They're cute. They are cute. Anyway, it's so cute that she doesn't sleep all night. And she just stays in the dress. And then when she wakes up in the morning, she's like, oh, God. <laughs> my, my brother, I need to pretend I slept. Slept normally. And so she puts on pajamas. Ruins her hair Ruins her hair, ruffles through her bed. It's very funny. It's a good bit. And then Bernardo apologizes to her for acting like a gangster at the dance. Okay, Megan. Yeah. This is probably like my favorite scene in the movie. Because it's amazing? Yes. Okay. A couple things. Bernardo wants a family of like six children and he just like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing that. And then they flirt and then they kiss through fabric that is lit from the sun. Because Anita, part of Anita's job is bringing home fabric to clean, right? Or she fixes clothes. She fixes clothes. Because she wants to run her own shop. Yeah, so but, she has a bunch of fabric always around the house. But it's hot. and It's beautiful. Kissing through fabric is hot, and anyone who's seen Pushing Daisies knows that it's actually, the tension is increased when you are separated. There's a great moment where Bernardo's just like, I'm sorry, I just couldn't have you with that Tony guy. Like, I don't want you to marry a guy like that. And she's like, marry him? I was just dancing with him. I'm like, girl, you're literally about to marry him today. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) But Megan, it's like very funny, funny, feigned, disgust. (laughs) Why would I marry? I just met him. (laughs) Him? With eyes like starlight that I stare into and I think about when I sleep. Him? No, we just danced. (laughs) I would never marry him today at two o'clock on the uptown side subway. (laughs) Bernardo slurs right back at Tony like rifted to him but i do like that anita responds by saying like ah you used a racial slur now you're a real american yep she knows what's up this scene establishes that bernardo and maria don't have that good of a relationship that she used to live with her father and took care of him by herself and now she lives with bernardo and she pays rent just like he does and so she is an adult but he treats her like a child And that is all established in this scene with them going back and forth in between English and Spanish with Anita consistently trying to get them back into English. And it is a flurry of establishing information along with that. And then Bernardo tells Anita to stay out of it because this is a family matter. Anita gets upset because Because she pays rent and she helps raise everyone and she takes care of anyone. And how is she not family then? He said he wants six kids with her and she's not family. And then that's when she slips back into Spanish is when that is brought up because she lets her emotions get the better of her. And you know, it's really weird. I might be thinking about the last film I watched, but it's almost like the tension and emotion just keeps rising and rising and rising until suddenly it explodes and people start singing seamlessly. Like some films don't do. We're the world mine. All of that tension ends up in the song America because... That whole conversation gets Anita thinking about where she is and where she came from. And I have to say that 
they changed lyrics from the original version as well as the movie version. So in the original 1957 Broadway play, they sing Puerto Rico, you ugly island, island of tropic diseases, always the hurricanes blowing, always the population growing, is the first Mm. lines. And then in the movie version, Anita sings Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion, let it sink back in the ocean. But then they go into always the hurricanes blowing, always the population growing. You get halfway there. I think what this version does perfect is they give a good version of Puerto Rico and then... It's like, but here's why I don't want to be there. Yes, because they change it in this version to Puerto Rico, you lovely island, island of tropical breezes, always the pineapples growing, always the coffee blossoms blowing. So some nice visuals. And then they go into, and the money owing, and the baby's crying. Yeah, so it's like, this one definitely is just like, I would love to be on my island if I had opportunity there. Yes. But America is the land of opportunity right now. There is no counterpart to this song in Romeo and Juliet, just like there's not a counterpart for most of the songs, and I don't even care. I don't Uh, even care. This rules. It's great. I would love to know about the nurse. The most we get about the nurse is that she had a husband who is dead and a kid who is dead. Yeah, so this is just the most infectious song in the musical, in my opinion. It's just like... It's upbeat. It's poppy. And I like that we don't get much perspective outside of Juliet scenes from the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. And we get this version where this secondary character gets a whole song stating her worldview. And it's almost like songs that establish a worldview. (laughs) Teach us something new. And then... Advance the story with stuff that you can't really naturally bring up in conversation. It's almost like that's how musicals should be. Yep, correct. Anyway. It's time for Tony time. Very short Tony time. Short Tony time. Yeah. Tony's learning Spanish from Valentina. Amazing. It's very funny because he starts up. The scene starts out with a joke of him saying like, I love you. I want to be with you forever. And it cuts to Valentina being like, you maybe want to ask her out for coffee first. She is being everyone who comments on Romeo and Juliet being like, you just met her. You can't be in love. But. But. She also is totally supportive and is like, here's how you say that. It's going to be rough for you. Yeah. like It was rough for me. I've been there specifically exactly where you are. I know what this I is like. I know what it's like and I know how hard it can be and how worth it it is. And you are in love. So here's how you say forever. So it kind of rules that she was Anita and now she's coming in as like this veteran of existence yeah and being a latina in america yeah like she lived this she was that young when this came out she was like in her 20s when the original when she was production anita. well no when oh. she was anita she was like pushing 30 oh okay <laughs> girl you can't tell <laughs> she mentions she was like i was a little late in my <laughs> i was pushing 30 when i was anita oh, god i love her So we cut to Tony and Maria meeting up and Maria's telling Tony about the fight that's going to happen. She's like, you have to have Riff call it off. And he's like, have Bernardo call it off. And she's like, he's too mad. And Tony's like, Riff's too mad. Society is pressuring both of them and they are Macbething it. 
they are too far gone to turn back now. And to be like, oh, actually, that thing that I led my group into, mm, we're backing out. That's admitting defeat. That's saying, I think you guys are going to beat us. And I like that they do have this kind of argument. Yeah, and they're like, it's so hard to be Puerto Rican in America. And he's like, no, it's so hard to be a poor white person who doesn't get to fully experience America. And they're just like, who has it worse? It's a good little argument, but she's correct. Puerto Ricans have it worse. It's kind of like what Trump took advantage of in 2016 is these disaffected Americans that are lower class who the economy's bad. That's correct. This is a thing that proceeds to this day. You use People are like, well, who has it worse? Well, I have it worse because of you. But what this movie teaches us is if you just talk to each other and go, wow, we each have it terrible, then you can get married <laughs> and be fine. Except not, because society's still against you. But but I think that that is prescient, especially in today. And Steven Spielberg mentions that he thinks that this really speaks to today. And I think that that's true. I think that there is a lot of disaffected white people in America right now. And the right is trying to take advantage of that and pushing against the people who are different. Yep. And they are still doing it. America hasn't changed since 1957, and it's kind of scary. And yet, I think what's interesting about this shot is that everyone is equal on the subway. Yeah. You see the subway, and you see people sitting down next to each other. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know, because everywhere else we see, everyone's very segregated. There aren't Puerto Rican people with white people. But I think that's On the subway, it was just like, hey, we're all poor. We all take the subway. Yes, and I think that that's interesting. It's a liminal space, which is still true to this day. It's also a real liminal space because it's literally you going from one place to another because it's a subway. We're very smart. Also, I, I do like the line, we can't pretend what we do doesn't cause trouble. That's what Maria says. Like, Tony is trying to be like, let's just be together. Like, whatever. They don't have to know. She's like, no, they're going to hurt each other over it. So anyway, let's move on to the police. Yay, cops. They're like, hey, Jets, where's the rumble? And the Jets are like, we don't talk to cops. And then anybody's has. We can talk about anybody's. Yeah. Let's go. First off, anybody's is seated on the girl's bench next to what is ostensibly a sex worker, I would say. She's an older lady. She's dressed up. She has the air of someone who's been here before. Yes. The Jets, on the other side, make fun of anybody's for trying to be a Jet, be a man. This causes a fight to break out, which anybody's is clearly kicking the ass of this dude. And this causes the police to get involved. This causes anybody's to assault an officer and get chased out. And I understand what Spielberg and Tony Kushner are trying to do here. I don't think it 100% works. And my reasoning is this. One, you're trying to establish, like, along with the Puerto Ricans and these white people, trans people have always existed, and their struggle is rough, too. And, like, we need, we want to establish that. And I honestly think that people need to understand that. On the other hand, I think it is very secondary in this film, and I wish there was either more or less of it. Yes, like it seems almost like it's put in there to get points. But it's, I know it's not. I know it's not, 
But it's honestly probably trying to do some good. Yes. And they cast a non-binary yes, trans Which actor. is why I think it was done with good intentions. But it's just... I think people want trans narratives that aren't about struggling. Like, I was going to say, what if anybody's was just trans? Yes. And there but wasn't at, the but fight. At, but at the same time, they want to be... The whole point of this film is struggling against societal Society. pressure. And I think that having a trans narrative does work in that yes. mode. But there's and, not enough. There's not enough stuff for it. They'd it, have to come up with a lot more for anybody's to make it make a big point. Or focus on it less and just have the character be trans without... Having there be the struggle. Yes. And just be like, trans people were always there. I will say, despite all that, I like anybody's. Yes. I like the idea that anybody's is a lookout, knows where to hide because that's also established as like anybody's can like sneak in, anybody's can just know where to go and like pass by undetected. Weird, kind of weird. Kind of weird. But if you think about it, not from a bad like trying to make well, it, it makes anybody's useful to the yes <laughs> and well, something that and, they're not utilizing. And also like when you're someone who could be attacked for who you are, you do try to not be noticed also it's weird that they established that tony's just like a cool trans ally yeah it was like well tony always said that i'm a guy and i'm like why so that we <laughs> like tony because we don't <laughs> and then tony like is just like hey anybody let me give you a hug i'm not gonna reject you it's like a weird thing to establish tony is like oh well tony's a true ally well that's why tony should be with the puerto rican girl <laughs> i don't uh, it's weird. Well, they also bring that up several times where people think that Tony choosing to be with a Puerto Rican girl is his form of atonement, which is not. After everyone leaves and all of that talk that we just had, we get into the song, Dear Officer Krupke. This song is useless. It's fun. It's useless. I disagree, but only if you take into account the themes about society well, so here's failing my thing. these people. Here's my thing. I think the rest of the film has shown us that enough. That's fair, but also this film added things and this yes. was not added. Correct. So like, I get it. I understand in past versions why you'd need this song. But in this version, I'm just like, it's more of what I've already gotten from your good directing and writing team. I'm also biased because I also think that this song rules what they do with it rules set in the police station yeah. after they have been interrogated about an act that they're about to commit. And one of them is baby John already established as being new to all of this. And you get to see him learn how to deal with, deal this. with things but and then, be a good member. But then what the song establishes is you can do all of this, but they're still going to throw you in jail because they don't know what to do with you, which I think is an important thing. So you thing. might as well be bad. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, I think this song is so interesting. I have seen a video essay, Megan, about West Side Story that argues that this song is the Queen Mab speech as it That is. might be why I don't like it, because I think <laughs> it's... Here's my thing about it, which is my same thing about Queen Mab. I think it's too long. Uh, that's fair. This song is about... Forces outside of their control determining their actions, which is like what Mercutio talks about with Queen Mab of just, oh, I seen Queen Mab has been with you. That's why you're acting yeah. so weird. It's not you. It's some weird supernatural thing. Yeah. And so Queen Mab stands in for the irrevocable pressure of society on you to be a good citizen. And yet you can't. And it's about the cyclical nature of existing in this system. 
I like the song. I think it's, it deserves to be here. I will defend this. I think another part of my problem is that I didn't see the original West Side Story movie. That's fair. Also, you would think that this song is just a nice number in the original movie. Well, I was thinking in the original, I might be like, oh, I don't think they told this story as well. But Megan, it's weird because I don't think the song does enough to establish that in a work that isn't talking about it at the Uh, same time. So if this version of this song was in that movie, then I'd probably like it more. Probably. Anyway, (laughs) I also like how Baby John comes in and sings the last verse and he pops in, and it actually warms my heart. He's a good gang member now. He's a part of the boys. This is an apotheosis of his membership. I don't know. I just like it. I also like that the sex worker does lock herself in the cage because the police did, in fact, leave her alone with five young men, and I would lock myself in a cage as well. You know what? She was right to considering what happens later. We'll get to (laughs) it. We'll get to it. So Tony and Maria go to the Cloisters, which is a museum of religious art located up north in New York. It is a beautiful place to go visit. It is a museum. I love that this film is in New York and they go to- And they use New York? Yes. And it is beautifully shot. And I think it's great that they don't go to like a cathedral. They go to a museum. Well, so I think this is a very important thing. This is a scene where Romeo and Juliet would get married. And I think it's very important to note that they are not legally getting married. Yeah. In this. They are metaphorically getting married. Like they say the whole vows thing. They do the richer and poorer thing. Then they talk about how they're both really poor, which is funny. It's not a legal marriage. He also tells Maria that he went to prison for almost killing a guy. Thank God that he tells her before they get not married. This is the scene where I get Tony. Yes. And I think it's bad that it happens like... This late? Yeah. Oh, by the way, before we get married, we should actually speak. I think that what he says in this scene does not mesh well with the fact that he sings Something's Coming at the beginning because he says that he was free-falling until he met Maria. Yeah, he was like, I really didn't think I was ever going to get something nice. And I'm like, but at the beginning of the musical, you you said something might even happen tonight. I deserve something great soon. Yeah, it's weird. Here's the thing. They added Something's Coming late into the original production because they needed something for Tony, or else Tony just kind of has a scene and then shows up at the dance. (laughs) You mean like Maria? But we also established that Maria is a much better character. Yeah. So they have their marriage scene. He speaks Spanish to her while she's praying. His accent's horrible. It's very cute. She laughs at him and it's cute that he's like very embarrassed. And then they make their vows. And amazing Stephen shot number 10 million is we have the light from the stained glass show on their faces while they're singing. It's colorful. It's so colorful. I might be imagining this. Aren't the colors kind of purple? Yeah. So it's like red and blue together. Yeah. Yeah. Purple. And I like that this marriage and these vows, Tony goes from saying, I'm not going to stop them to, I will do this for you. Yeah. I know that you care about your brother. Well, and he's like, we can't be together if everyone we love is fighting each other because of us. So there won't be a fight. I promise. 
So anyway, uh, Riff buys a gun from a pub. What the hell, Riff? There's no weapons. He's cheating. The guys selling the gun are very much like, oh, do you know how to use a gun? And Riff lies, and he lies poorly. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, then we're going to act like we're going to shoot you. And Riff's like, do it then. Okay, hey, pushing your head into the gun that's aimed at you is the coolest thing you could do with a gun in film. He does it. I don't like guns. But that's a boss move. That's a boss move. And also, he doesn't have anything else right. if this goes wrong. Yeah, he's like, I mean, if you're not going to sell me the gun, if I can't bring a gun to this fight, you might as well kill me now. Uh, and then they just give him the gun, Well, it seems. Because... They're like, okay, he's he's got nothing. <laughs> you're, you can have it. You're just like your pa, who also had nothing. I think Mike Feist rules in this scene. I think he's amazing. Every time I watch this movie again, I'm more amazed by Mike Feist's as Riff. His performance just gets better with every viewing. Everyone I love. Yeah. But he's got little nuances you didn't notice the time before. Let's just say MVP's going to be a little bit difficult. (laughs) I have not decided yet. Anyway. So he takes the gun. And then they go in the streets and they start playing with the gun. Yeah, because they're kids, Megan. I can't. Anyway, so they're playing with the gun. They're like, bam, 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 I'm going to kill you. Pew, pew, pew. Bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, bam. What I like is. Tony's like, hey, guys, uh, what are you doing with this gun, man? Okay, Megan. You take over. I'm losing my shit. I can't. It's very funny to me that you lose. That we have very different opinions of this scene. Yeah. You look at the gun and you start freaking out. I'm like, Megan, it's A, not a real gun, so it's not going to fire off narratively in this scene. No, no, but in the fiction, that is a real gun that is loaded, and we have not said that there's a safety on it. You're worried about the gun. Again, I think that they're pointing at each other, and they're going, like, bang, bang. I'm the cops. I'm a bad guy. I'm bang, bang. I think that Tony acts legitimately to the gun, Because he's just like, holy shit. Why the hell do you have a gun? Stop. Yeah. And then he sings a song that I'd like way more if they weren't throwing around an active pistol. Okay, we're getting into this. Here's the thing. You're saying we're getting into this. My literal only note for this whole scene is, how am I supposed to enjoy how fun this song is when they're throwing around an active gun? Because, Megan, otherwise, this song happens after the rumble is not sung by Riff and Tony, it is whoa, sung... Whoa, 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 that's way weird. It is moved to after the rumble, and it is sung by other Jets about how Riff made a mistake, and you gotta keep your cool if you have something like a gun around, and you can't mouth off to the cops. That makes sense, and is weird. It's, it's boring. No, it's bad. It's a bad placement. It, it turns a song that I would say, like, why is this in here? Yes. You don't obviously. Obviously he made a mistake. He's dead. And it turns it into an argument between Tony and Riff, which you need here. Yes. This is where I think it, why this works a thousand percent. This is why it is shocking. And I'm establishing this here. It is shocking that Tony Kushner did not get nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. He didn't? He did not. Bull. And I am angry about this because he has made changes to song placement and context that is amazing and has added themes throughout that weren't there before. 
So anyway, this song went from a song I didn't care about to one of my favorites in the musical because of this context that they give it here. Because I like that it's a fight over pacifism done with a gun, which is very scary. And also these boys are fighting over the gun over holes in the ground on the docks, which immediately fills it with double the tension, which was obviously too much for Megan. Megan, did you not worry about the boys falling down the holes? Or were you too worried about the gun to think There's about that? There's a chance them? they could swim. I don't think they can heal themselves from bullet wounds. Megan, they'd probably break both their legs if they fell down. Yeah, they got hole. strong arms. Have you seen what they've done? <laughs> okay, right. So we established that Riff wins the gun back from Tony. And it really is narratively an inert scene, if you think about it from a storytelling perspective, of just Tony tries to get them to stop fights over the gun, they get the gun back, they're not going to stop. But it shows that Tony tried. And Tony's crying at the end. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be able to win. So then we get to the reprise of tonight. This is one of those reprises where it is the opposite meaning. Where they're like, yeah, tonight, I love you. No, no, no. Tonight, I'm going to murder everyone you've ever known. And one thing I really like about it, which is very similar to themes in a play where no one knows why a feud started, the Sharks and the Jets are both singing that the other side started it. I love that. Perfect. And also, Anita is saying in church how... I'm gonna get so much sex tonight. I love it. It's beautiful. And then everyone else is like, shut sure, Anita. Anita, we're in church. And she's like, I'm gonna get dicked down. <laughs> He's going to be hot after a fight, because that's true. It is. She's like, don't fight. But if you do, please jump right into my bed after. We go to the fight. That, that's all I wanted to say yeah. about tonight. It's yeah. it's no. a great song, but listen. It's short, and it, it, yeah. that's what it is. So we go to the rumble. The doors open up on either side, and we see shadows of jets and sharks crisscrossing each other. Steven, you can't keep doing this to me. I love your movie. Here's the thing, Megan. A director who puts like three good shots in his movie has already done a good job in my mind. And Steven just keeps doing it. He is not stopping. (laughs) And it is impressive. And Bernardo's like, hey, Tony's not here. You said I'd get to kill Tony. We established that anybody's has shown up to watch the fight. Tony is here too, and Chino helps him get into the salt. Because they're late, which is why Bernardo thinks Tony's not there. But Chino's like, let me help you get in here, bud. We're on opposite sides. We're going to kick each other's ass. Well, Chino's not a shark, so they don't want him here. And Tony, they want him here, but But he he doesn't doesn't want to be here. here. And Tony wants to talk to Bernardo instead of fighting. And Riff's like, here's the gun, Tony, because you're here, so now I don't need it. Bernardo learns about Tony almost killing a guy that he went to prison and he's trying to better himself. And Bernardo accuses Tony of only dating Maria. So that he can be a white knight. Yes. It's so good. It's wrong, but it's so good. And I get where Bernardo's coming from. (laughs) For one, he didn't want his sister to fight just a regular gangster street brawler type, let alone one that almost killed a kid. But he's trying to be better, but Bernardo doesn't care. No, and Bernardo wants to fight, and Tony's like, I won't fight you. Just like in Romeo and Juliet. And but then Tony's like, actually, I will fight you. <laughs> yeah. 
Kind of like in some Romeo and Juliet. I mean, I like it. I, I, I like. No, funny. I like. It. I like it when it's like I will not fight you. And it's like, okay, you're actually gonna like beat me to death if I don't fight back. So I'm, I'm gonna fight you. And we do see that Tony almost kills Bernardo. Almost. Yeah, you can see that he gets back into that place he was when he got arrested, and he's just mindlessly beating on him. And he's like, hold up, I'm going too far now. So he gets up, starts to walk away, and then someone. I don't know who from the crowd throws a knife on the ground forward. Escalates. I hate them. This could have been fine if you didn't do that. I like that we don't know who it is. I do too. I think it would lessen it if you knew who. Because it's kind of like, I don't know who started the feud. I don't know why this is happening, but it did. So then it turns into Rebel Without a Cause because it's just a knife fight. And it's pretty good knife fight. You can definitely see the tension of these two guys who probably aren't skilled knife fighters. Well, it's Bernardo and, and Riff. Tony gets held back oh. by the other Jets. Oh, that's and, right. They're like, Tony, you're going to go to jail again. And yeah. then Riff's like, yeah, I got this. And then like someone drops a knife and then Tony goes to grab it and he's pulled back by the Jets again. He tries to stop Riff, though. And he's like, Riff, come on, don't do it anymore. And he holds Riff back. And then Riff is like, I'm going back. And they part at such a violent speed that Riff is basically flung back into the fight onto Bernardo's knife, which is very different from Romeo and Juliet. Well, yes, but Mercutio does yell at Romeo, you got in the way. Yes. So that is established that Mercutio yells that. The difference is... One, Romeo doesn't provoke Tybalt. Tybalt. <laughs> Two, Tybalt steps forward to stab Mercutio. Oh, yeah. In this, it almost, like, he uh, was not, it doesn't seem like Bernardo was expecting to kill a man in that no, moment. No, but he knew that was a possible. I don't think we can forgive Bernardo. Here. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think we can forgive anyone, but I think that. I think that if Bernardo had the chance, he would have killed Riff. My thing is, it's once again, one of the things, like with the knife being thrown onto the ground, where you're just like, every, everyone's just like, I, how did that just happen? Yeah, who knows? Also different, instead of cursing everyone's houses because he was not actually part of this fight because he didn't have to, he was just a rich boy who felt like getting involved in a few. <laughs> God, I hate Mercutio. Riff's last words are not, you know, a plague on both of your houses. It's, it's okay. Take it out. Which would be bad for a wound but is good if you need your friend to stab a man yes (laughs) please just use the knife that is in my body and uh please just kill bernardo right now i also love it because he's like it's okay i had nothing but please finish this so that i didn't die for nothing yes it is uh better than mercutio it's also sad (laughs) yes and tony stabs bernardo yep and Chino holds Bernardo's body and is like, no, but you were my best friend. <laughs> but I was not your best friend. <laughs> and then anybody's comes and tells Tony to leave because the cops show up. Oh, no, runs. trans Benvolio. Kind of, Is, is yeah. anybody's Benvolio? Yeah. I feel like yes. I'll say yes. And Chino got a gun. Ba-da, ba-da, ba-da. Chino got a gun. But all I can think about is the fact that Anita was going to have such good sex and now she never will again with Bernardo. So then we get another problem song, which is I Feel Pretty. I did not even know this song was from West Side Story. So here's the thing. I do like that the song is her singing it while at her job in a fancy department store pretending to be a rich white lady. Yeah. 
I like that. Because it's also like, oh, well, when I'm with Tony and we get away from here, maybe this could be my life. Like, it's dreams. Anyway, that song happens. I think it's good. Good shot number 30 million when they dance in the mirrors in the department store. Like, she's in. Yeah, because it's also at the point of the song where it's like, which one? Like, who, what, reflect, which pretty, who's the girl? I don't know the lyrics. And it's a, uh, so it's in front of a trifold mirror to just take a look at whatever clothes you're wearing from all sides. But that means there's reflections of so many people because it's also like a room of them. And it's a beautiful shot. My favorite thing in the world is when you shoot something and you can't see a camera yes. in the shot. And you're, when like, you're like, there's all these mirrors. How'd you do it? How'd you do it, Steven? And then Chino comes in with terrible news. Okay. I think it is wild to be like, hi, I'm Paris. Romeo killed Tybalt. But who else is going to tell her? No, like, it makes sense. Because, like, it couldn't be someone from the jet side. So it couldn't be, like, anybody's. And it's supposed to be the nurse who just kind of like is out and about. And that's not Anita. When Anita needs to identify the body. God, I don't. It's rough. That's like, I think the worst thing that could happen to you as a person. Yes. That isn't actual harm is like. Yeah. Hi, we think that the person you love is dead and we need you to look at the corpse. Before anything has been done to make it look nice. And confirm it's him. And you have the uh, you have the idea that it possibly could not be them. Like you're praying, but like she knows he was at a rumble and he didn't come home. Yep. Then Tony comes to Maria at her apartment, and she's oh, just like, "I love that." Her reaction is like, "No, get out, get out!" Don't... And she like tries to shove him, and she's crying, and he's like, "I'm gonna turn myself in." And then she's just like, "If you let them take you from me, how do I forgive you for that?" And you're like, fuck, she's lost everything. And then I thought of the funny statement, he's all I have because he killed everyone else I had. (laughs) She's got Anita. She does have Anita. It is a clunky scene that you just have to have. You have to have it. It's weirder in Romeo and Juliet where it's like, hey, he killed your cousin Tybalt. And she's like, I need him in my room tonight get him here also it's not like oh he's going to jail uh and is gonna be punished his punishment was just getting banished yeah but juliet's like i need him with me right now and also juliet's not being forced to marry paris in this version yeah it's just like hey do you want to date chino and she's like nah Nah. (laughs) and they're like i'm my own person but don't you like chino and they like kind of keep bringing it up but like nothing's gonna happen well if they she think doesn't. that she's in love with chino during i feel pretty because they don't know her they're just people she works with yep then we cut to sad grandma <laughs> well yeah the jets are running from the cops and valentina comes from out of her shop and says well what's happening they tell her and then she sings a song that used to be sung by an offstage person in i the was original. gonna ask you because i was like it can't be doc singing this no so they give her this as kind of like a, well, you're a veteran of this. You get to sing the like hopeful ballad as a sad grandma. And then we see Tony and Maria are having sex and we see how sexless Anita is. And I'm very mad at them for having sex in a house where Anita can't be having sex. So anyway, Tony wakes up after they have sex and he goes to leave and they make plans to run away together. But Anita catches them. Whoops. And then... They take so long to, to say goodbye. To leave, yes. Yeah, so that's on them. Because Anita's like, hi, um, the only person I have 
was murdered by some guy that you danced with. Like, could you please be there for me right now? And Maria's just like, um, one more minute. I gotta keep talking to the guy that I'm literally making plans to run away with anyway. So I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with him. So shut up, Maria. This is another song that previously before watching this film, I had put in my like B tier, probably isn't on my Spotify playlist of songs from West Side Story. But this song is a low-key banger, especially sung by these two actresses. Here's the thing. We start out off with Anita slapping Maria. You're in. (laughs) And during it, one of my favorite bits, which I'm hoping you wrote about because you brought this up earlier, those same sheets of fabric that she was kissing Bernardo through, she is pushing Maria between, basically, and Maria's going, like, shrouded by it, running through it. Yes. Getting yelled at, shrouded by it, running through it, still getting berated. Amazing. Great use oh. of establishing something early on and paying it off later. It's just so small, too. And so, anyway, Anita yells at Maria for loving a killer, and basically, Maria says, but I love him don't you understand loving a flawed person? And she's just like, not someone who killed your brother and not someone who's a killer. And she's like, Bernardo was exactly like him. It's not like stated outright, but it is implied in the song of just like, how can you say this to me? When you were in love when with you... Bernardo and you're this upset because Bernardo's gone. Yes. So wouldn't you understand where I'm coming from? Anita needs someone there for her. And she doesn't have anyone. She has no one. I also need to mention... Because in West Side Story, it's about your group instead of your blood family. This song would be really uncomfortable in Romeo and Juliet because it's like, stick with your own kind, marry your cousin, don't marry outside your bloodline. Yeah. (laughs) Maria convinces Anita to let Maria run away with Tony and she asks, can you forgive him? And Anita says, don't you ever ask me that. And then Maria asks, can you forgive me? And... Anita responds with, I love you, of course, but he cannot be here, so you need to go with him. Uh, it's good. It's Fair. really good. I get that. Oh, yeah. What I think is Ariana DeBose's beautiful masterstroke is she properly portrays all of these different emotions bubbling up inside of Anita, and she is not done yet. no. You're like, oh, this is her climax. No. Oh, I thought it was. Right? It's amazing. Anyway, we move on to a very short scene where the sharks are confronted by Chino about what happened. And Chino calls Bernardo a fool, which is wild because he was his best friend. He was my best friend. And also you guys followed him. He was a fool. Well, because he fought for nothing because he died for nothing because nothing is different. Yeah. And now everyone's looking for whoever killed these two people. Yeah. So the fighting was useless. But I've got a gun and I'm going to kill whoever killed Bernardo, who is Tony. The thing is, anybody's is listening in and anybody's has to tell the Jets that this is going to happen. And this is followed by Lieutenant Shrank interrogates Maria and Anita. F you. He sucks. I hate the cops. Cops are bad, Megan. So Shrank tells the girls that Chino has a gun. Anita's like rolling her eyes like, oh my God, come on. Another additional thing I have to worry about. And Maria's like, no, I've met Chino. Chino. And even if he does have a gun, I wouldn't rat him out because you're a cop. 
I also like that the women play on their race and their gender identity in order to communicate oh. with each other. And avoid questioning. And avoid questioning. It's so good because Anita's like, oops, time to do some sewing. It's my job. She, she goes over to a noisy sewing machine. <laughs> And then Maria Maria's speaks. like, I'm not good at English, so I need to tell her to go to Valentina and tell Romeo I'm going to be late. I have a headache. It's my time of the month. All these things that Shrank is like, oh, don't we don't need to talk about that. But then I like that he is kind of smart because then Maria speaks in English. And he's like, well, you were speaking Spanish and all of a sudden fluency. Yep. It's like he understands that. He knows what they're doing. Yes. But. It doesn't he matter until them. he gets information from them. But he needs to interrogate Maria, so Anita needs to go in Maria's place and tell Tony that she's going to be late. So the Jets are in the drugstore waiting for Tony, who is in with Valentina in, in the, the basement. basement. Graziella is worried about Tony. Oh my god, shut up. You didn't want to date him. Anybody comes in, tells the Jets about the gun, and they're like, whatever. And anybody's just like, no, but like, I'll keep an eye out for Chino and tell you if anyone, the cops, Chino is coming. And the Jets are like, we validate you. Good job, boy. Trans narrative complete. complete. <laughs> A joke I like to make is anybody's nodding and just go, I don't need your validation. I validate myself, but okay. But okay, boys. And as anybody's leaves, Anita is walking into this room of all white people and anybody's is just like you should not be here. you should run i like that yes like leave right now this is not where you should be yes these are a bunch of jets who are real pissed at the sharks and know you were the lover like of please their leave. leader but anita has to do this <sighs> she's trying to get in touch with valentina who's in the basement so she can't hear her so she starts shouting in spanish and they turn her own establishing character bit against her because she has been constantly telling people speak English, English and they tell her don't speak Spanish in here. Ugh. And it is so rough. And then she says that she wants to pass and they tell her with your skin color, you ain't ever gonna pass. Ariana DeBose stated when she was cast I am Afro-Latinx. I want this character to be Afro-Latinx. Yeah. And they established that with this line. Yeah. Like, it is acknowledged that she is too dark to pass. And the Jets are riled up. And Graziella is like, don't hurt her. And the boys take the girls and shove them outside and lock the doors. And they are slamming Sla In that it. moment, I was like, I finally care about Graziella for the first time. Women trying to protect other women because they know what it's like. And that's so good in this thing about differences and just how your different identities can clash or you can be allies to certain people for certain things and not allies in other ways. And the fact that the women are like, no, I know what's going to go down and I cannot let this happen. But I am in no power to stop it. And they play, those women play that desperation scarily. Oof. And Valentina comes in, pulls at the boy's hair. Because they are on top of her. Yes. She is on the ground. And Anita <laughs> calls Valentina a traitor. Because she wasn't there for Anita because she was too busy protecting Tony. 
when right up here she needed her. I am remembering this and I am starting to cry. Sorry. Yeah. This is really rough, but I completely understand where everyone is coming from. Yes. And that's what makes it so hard. Yep. And she, in this moment of hurt and desperation, is just like, you know what? Screw everything. Tell Tony Maria was shot. Chino had a gun. Maria was shot. That's what I came here to tell you. And she goes to leave and the boys tell her, go back where you came from. And ultimately, how Anita ends up, she rejects America, the very thing she sang in defense of not 30 minutes earlier. She has washed herself of this because she tried. America took everything from her. She tried her hardest to be a part of this and it rejected her in totality so she rejects it right back it is very tragic and i think that i connect with the tragedy of what anita went through far more than i connect with the tragedy of tony and maria which is weird yeah and why she probably is going to win an oscar here's the thing tony and maria chose this anita tried very hard and fate other people whatever you want to say made it so that she couldn't It was all out of her control. Valentina yells at the boys. Valentina's like, get out. You are rapists. I I knew you all when you were very young. I know all your names. And you have grown into monsters. Please leave. She goes back down to the basement where everything's fully okay. Tony's just like, we love you so much. We're going to name all our girls Valentina. I just need some money for the bus. Yeah, we just like, I don't know, $100 and then I'll pay you back because wherever we go, we're going to get jobs and I'm going to send you all the money and it's going to be great and we're going to be so happy. And she's like, please shut up. Please stop talking. I need to say something. She's just like, life matters more than love. And he responds with like, they're the same thing. And then she tells him that Chino shot Maria. He cries, which sadly, since the actor is a sex pest, I was like, good. Fucking cry. I think this is the worst part. Crying at hearing that the person that your character is based around, like your whole purpose is based around. The initial reaction cry is a very hard thing to act out. Yes. Because it is something that a lot of people have experienced. That someone they love is dead. But it needs to be sudden news. Yes. And shocking news. You need to react big, which uh, honestly in real life you don't because it's more stunned than anything. You just take time to process it. But this is a narrative. But this is a movie and a narrative. And so it it's a very uncanny, weird thing to see on screen. So it was very hard. But yeah, since he's a sex pest, I just took that moment to be like, good, cry, baby. I don't care. So he runs out into the street looking for death. He's screaming for Chino to find him. Because he doesn't want to live without Maria. And anybody comes up and goes like, okay, we got to get you out of here. I know where to (laughs) go. Chino's got a gun. And he's like, yeah, I I know." know. And after a bunch of calling, Chino's like, oh, hey. It's that guy I want to shoot and starts to come out. But at the same time, who else comes out? Maria. Maria with her bags. And Tony's like, what? Maria. Oh my God, it's Maria. And they're happy and they're running towards each other. And then Chino steps forward. And shoots him twice. And he falls. And he dies. And he dies. And it is very rough for me to see Maria react to this. Because she is a great actor and not a sex pest. Yep. She's rules. And also... She sings, but there's no orchestration 
behind her singing in this part. Because she's alone in the world. And that rules. And then she picks up the gun and starts pointing it at everyone. And she, oh, it's such a great bit because she's like, how many of you can I kill and and still still have have one one for me? And it's rules, so Maria, good. Rules. And I wrote, at least she isn't pointing the gun at Friar Lawrence like Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> Correct. And so then all of the Jetson sharks come together and carry Tony off. And Valentina gra- holds, Chino. <laughs> holds Chino, grabs the gun and is ready to take him to the police, which I would be like, no, hi, you didn't actually know the full context of the situation. Chino, let me tell it to you. Because Tony also killed someone. It's weird to morally be like, you die, but, but Tony you go. was better. What should uh, happen. Maybe she would have taken Tony to the police. No, wait, she had Tony and didn't. Yeah, whatever. We end the film seeing the body being carried off with Maria following and Valentina holding Chino while the cops approach. It is the most theatrical moment of the film. Yes. It kind of doesn't work for me, but it's fine. It's one of those where I'm like, I don't really know how else you'd end it. Correct. Okay. Anyway, we did it, Megan. We made it through the film. Uh, here's the difference between this and Romeo and Juliet. Juliet dies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and so does Paris. But they both live in this, but... They both live in this. Is going to jail forever really living, Megan? Banish it. Let's get into it. It's amazing. Yes. Okay, wait. I gotta think about it just as Romeo and Juliet. Think of it as an adaptation, Megan. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. I think it improves on the play. I think it makes some real strong choices, like not killing Juliet. Well, I also think like making it between disenfranchised people who are fighting over nothing. That makes it so much more modern. We've talked about that before with Shakespeare and Love. How making it like a rich person and a poor person as the difference is like making it a societal thing instead of a feuding family thing works better. This one I think works even better better because they're both on the same level where that's an important thing where they're both rich or they're both poor. And that only works with a non-direct adaptation. I will say if you do a direct adaptation, having them be something else doesn't make any sense. No, you would need to change a lot of lines. I have seen productions where one of the families is poor and the other is rich and it's an economic clash. And I'm like, that doesn't work. Having this change makes sense because also you're doing your own thing. Yeah. And it makes the context better. Here's a thing that's interesting. The only adult is Friar Lawrence. Yes. And the cops. There's no parents. There's no parents. The nurse is like a couple years older than Maria. And that feels good. It is good. Because it always kind of sucks when you think of Juliet and you're like, yeah, her best friend, the old lady who took care of her from when she was a baby. Who gave her her breast milk. Yes. That's not really your bestie. That's your second mom. Yeah. So it kind of sucks for Juliet. So I really like that Maria has someone she's of an age with oh and also riff is better than mercutio we've established that well because he actually has backstory that makes him involved in this intrinsically instead of well i just want to fuck around and he found out the prince is better than the cops yes because he's actually trying to maintain order amongst rich people yes and he's like how about none of us fight please And you guys, this is literally caused by nothing. And you guys just stop. And I am not the cops. And the cops are cops. And they're really egging people on. So, yeah, I don't like them. 
So this is a good adaptation. It's a great adaptation. And a great film. Yes. You did a good one, Steven Spielberg. Who knew Steve had it at him? What what do we else do we do? MVP is next. Oh, mother trucker. Mother trucker, that hurt like a butt cheek on a stick. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about this. My MVP is Ariana DeBose as Anita. She's gonna win the Oscar. If she doesn't, I'm very sorry. I'm really sorry for making it so you don't win by saying it so many times. She is my MVP. So I am torn apart by the fact that if I don't name Ariana DeBose... Then she can't be the MMVP at the end of the year? Correct. She's out of the running. And I don't want to do that. And because I think that she deserves an Oscar. I think like almost every actor deserves an Oscar. That's my thing where I'm like, she's the only one who was nominated? Yes. Bullshit. If anything, Mike Feist should be nominated. Like Bernardo is good, but he doesn't have a whole lot going yeah, he's on. He's not given as much. Tybalt is a small character. And Riff is given a lot of little moments and scenes. And more songs. But I will give it to Ariana DeBose as Anita. Good job, girl. So that she could possibly be MMVP. Yes. It's because we've rigged our own system. Welcome to the Oscars, well, she folks. Was, she was always in the running. She was. So it was either going to be... tipped the scales. It was either going to be her or Mike Feist as Riff. But I tipped the scales. Yes, you did. If you had chosen Mike Feist... You would have said Mike Feist. Yes, I would have. Uh, but it's fine. Ariana DeBose, good job. Here's your award. It's not as good as a SAG or an Oscar, but... Or even the avant-garde MMVP. But here you go. Do you want to know what I think Shakespeare would say if he saw this film? What would Shakespeare say if he saw this film, Megan? I think he would say, for swear at sight, I ne'er saw true beauty till tonight, tonight. You'd also think that everyone is hot. Yeah, just like we do. So, Megan, what would you rate... West Side Story 2021. So here's the thing. I usually do jokey jokes. Yeah. Interesting answers. But this is a serious film with serious quality. And so I'm saying 9.8 out of 10. 9.8 out of 10? Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. That is a good score. I, a 98%? 98%. The 2% it's getting off is because sex passed. Know what, Megan? Yeah. 4.5 out of 5. only taken off for Ansel Elgort. Not only because of his sex pestery, but also because I just don't think he's really as strong as everyone else, even with all of that. I think my thing is I've become so desensitized to not caring too much about a lot of people who portray Romeos. That's also fair. That I rate them very low to begin with, so my expectations are to the ground, so I'm just like, yeah, he met it. If I saw... (laughs) A really good Romeo. I'd lose my mind. Yes. So I think that just about does it for us here on Avant Bard. If you like what you heard, you could follow us on all social media at Avant Bard Pod. And if you really liked what you heard, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash Pod. Bloopers for this episode will be on Patreon next week. But until then, we will see you... Anon, Anon, <laughs> we'll speak with you, Anon. Yeah, yeah, that one. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, 
You can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod.